Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7 and verse 12. Matthew chapter 7 verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God for his word. Father, may we not be tempted to gloss over what is both a short passage and one that is in some ways so simple, so familiar. Would you, by your Spirit's power, open our eyes in ways that we have never seen, instruct and change, transform our hearts in the ways that we need, Lord? to increase our love for you and for others. Plant your word deeply in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I had a seminary professor. Please be seated. Sorry, I just took off there because this is, this is not in my notes. <clears throat> um, had a seminary professor, and I don't know if this is true or not. I have no reason not to believe him, but he told us the shortest sermon he ever preached was on a passage, uh, I think it was on giving, And he said, after he read the text, he's like, you guys know what to do. And he closed and prayed and finished the sermon. I actually felt that this morning (laughs) when I just read the text. Like, you know, this is such a simple passage. Like, you know, we shouldn't need exposition on this. And yet, I'll be the first to confess I do. Because I do not love well. I do not love perfectly. I do not love proactively in the way that is called for here in this text. So we need this this morning. Well, that's for free. That was not in the notes. But beginning with where I was starting, the the, the ultimate multi-tool, what am I talking about here? Well, to know what you need when you need it, the right tool is essential really in doing any job, whether it's fixing the leaky faucet or preparing a sales plan or proposal at work or caring for a patient, building a house, whatever you're doing, the right tool can be considered essential. Not only the right tool, but to know what a tool is used for and how to use it, I have learned is also essential. Have you ever picked up a tool and thought, I have no idea what this is used for, and you know, what, what do you do with this? Well, as a kid, my dad, you guys all know I'm not mechanical at all, but I, grew, I did grow up around tools, and I held the flashlight quite a bit. I just didn't I didn't receive any of this in the genes. But my dad has tons of tools, and there were a lot of things I saw used, and I knew what they were for, but there were things that I would always discover. I had no idea what it was used for. One was this thing in his toolbox, and it looked like an old radio antenna. Remember the radio antennas telescoped in and out? But it had a nice handle on the end of it, and after playing with it for a while, obviously when my dad wasn't around because we were never allowed to play with his tools, uh, but, but after messing around with it, uh, I discovered that on the end of it was a magnet. But I had no idea what it was for. Until sometime later when he and I were working on a vehicle and probably me uh, dropped a screw or a bolt into the engine compartment where neither one of us could reach. And he went into the shop and opened his toolbox and pulled out this tool and he telescoped that out with the magnet on the end and went down and voila. You know, the right tool for the right job, the right tool in the right situation can, can really save your day, can keep it from uh, a, a situation like that from ruining your day. 
uh, I don't know how long ago, but at some point the little multi-tools became popular, I think. I've, I've had one at least for as long as Les and I have been married, so they've been around for a while. But, you know, it, it was an expansion on the, the pocket knife that you could have more than just a blade in your pocket, but you could have this device that folds up and goes in your pocket, and it could be used to cut, but it could be used to pry. And you used to add screwdriver bits on it, cut, you know, screw, unscrew, screw grip, plier things on it. You could open things. It was just, it was a multi-tool that if you didn't have your toolbox with you, this could at least get you a little further down the road. Even if you don't work with tools, you can think in terms of the kitchen, having the right tools in the kitchen makes all the difference when you prepare food or out at the barbecue. You might think even of your smartphone. You know, think of what is in our pockets this morning. You know, Zach was talking about his, his camera and jokingly said that you know, he was going to go show um, uh, Victor uh, his camera in his pocket because you know, Victor's taking pictures with this incredible piece of equipment. And we, were, we just started talking about the advancement in technology of what now fits in our pockets and what it can do. Not only can we take pictures, and the pictures are getting better and better, uh, but we can take pictures of objects that we'll even search on. You know, you can take a picture of a plant now, and it will tell you what the plant is. You don't even have to know what you're looking at. It can search by the picture. It can, your phone can measure things. Did you know that? There's a measuring tool on most of our phones. Uh, my favorite is just taking a picture of something I want to remember. <laughs> you know, just I need to remember that. Or I, this, this may be my new favorite. I now take pictures of book pages because then you can use the scan and copy text feature because it'll copy it rather than trying to copy all the text. So we have multi-tools in a lot of different ways that we carry with us and that we use for a lot of different things. Well, Jesus has been working through the Sermon on the Mount. He's been explaining the kingdom of God. He's been correcting the misunderstandings uh, about the law. And he's told us many things that have been hard to hear, let alone do. Uh, So in the previous verses, what we've just left is the the resource of prayer. Because he has told us we, we must have a righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, that we must be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, he now tells us that we're not to, to judge others lest we be judged. And then he says, ask, seek, and knock. Go receive, go to where the well is, go to the resource that you need to live out this. What he now says in this verse that follows, in this one sentence, he says, is the law and the prophets that this captures all of what the Old Testament said. We get a summary of all that is taught and all that is described. It is a distillation of the entire Jewish scriptures. It has come to be known as the golden rule. And it's an idea that at least, I'm not that old, it was taught in school growing up. It was a noble idea, separated from Christianity, just the idea that, that you should, this is a good way to live. And I think, as I've already said, because it is so broadly accepted and because it is so simple that even a child can understand it, we academically-minded Presbyterians may be tempted to dismiss it, to think that it's somehow beneath our consideration. We might be tempted to look our nose, down our noses at it, that it's somehow so far back in our spiritual journey to maturity that, that it's really not something we need to think much about anymore. It doesn't need our time or attention. But let me invite us this morning to hear the words of our Savior and consider just how profound this one sentence is. None of us have kept this command perfectly even so far today. I don't need to take a survey to know that because I know my own heart. 
I know my own sinfulness, whether it was gulping down the last of the OJ or the coffee and not considering anyone else in the home or rushing our spouse or family member. Are you ready yet? As you went out the door, even if you came alone, complaining to the driver who was on your way or in your way, on your way here, uh, or my favorite, walking into church and seeing that someone else sat in your seat. (laughs) The gall. (laughs) None of us have loved perfectly even so far today. If Jesus says that this is the law and the prophets and we cannot keep it even in the first half of a Sunday, then maybe we do need to hear and meditate on it more than we think so. You see, not only is this statement profound, it is practical for us, but it is also universally applicable. It is the ultimate multi-tool. It can be used and applied in all situations. Think of how the religious elites were treating the law and the prophets. We talked about taking vows What did the people do? They decided that if they swore against something that wasn't holy or as holy as something else, then they could break the vow. In essence, they could lie. And that's what they were doing, pitting objects against each other by which they could swear. Uh, In that same uh, passage, we also considered how uh, the scribes and Pharisees were neglecting to honor their parents by saying, oh, oh, you know, that money over, over there, that's reserved for God. It's more noble. They were forgetting to honor their parents as they've been commanded. Uh, Think of the command to turn the other cheek. This didn't happen, and I'm not suggesting that it did. But imagine with me for a minute, Jesus comes up upon the disciples, and they're having a brawl. And he says to them, guys, I told you to turn the other cheek. And one of them, probably Peter, would be like, Lord, he slapped me on the arm, not the cheek. So I slugged him, right? We know how to find the loophole in the rule. We know, we're, the little legalist in all of our hearts knows how to figure out a workaround to anything that is given to us. And then when we do this, we comfort ourselves in our disobedience and we miss out on the whole point and the blessing of obeying God. We're experts in doing this. I, I didn't lie. I just got creative with the truth. I wasn't being hateful. I just tell them like it is. I'll start forgiving them when they stop being a jerk. Everyone else seems to get what they want when they want it. Why is it selfish for me to do the same? No one ever helped me get ahead. Why should I help those people? You see, because we are so crafty at doing this, Jesus works through the Sermon on the Mount to get at our hearts, to show us where our real guilt lies. Earlier, we, saw, we heard him say, you've heard it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. And then he went on to say, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And each of these statements, Jesus is showing us where the problem is. It's in our hearts. This is where our guilt lies. Even if we can honestly say, I have never murdered anyone. I have never committed adultery. He shows us where the guilt lies. 
And what the golden rule does is expand to cover every situation we can imagine. It is the ultimate multi-tool. J.C. Ryle writes, It does not merely forbid all petty malice and revenge, all cheating and overreaching. It does much more. It settles a hundred difficult points, which in a world like this are continually arising between man and man. It prevents the necessity of laying down endless little rules for our conduct in specific cases. It sweeps the whole debatable ground with one mighty principle. It shows us a balance and measure by which everyone may see at once what is his duty. Jesus shows us in this one sentence how the law of love can be used as a guide in every single situation that we face. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Well, the concept of this statement was not new with Jesus. If you've studied history, you know that Jesus isn't the first to say something like this. We can go back at least to Confucius and see, who lived 500 years before Jesus, that he said, do not do to others what you would not wish done to yourself. Stoic philosophers followed a similar principle that they had enacted. And just before Jesus, in the, in the decade before he was born, a rabbi Hillel said, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is only commentary. And as far as the historical records show, the statement was always in the negative. Don't do to others what is hateful or, or what you wouldn't want done yourself. And that's not a bad thing, any more than the command not to murder, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to lie. But as Jesus has been demonstrating so far in this sermon and in his ministry, the law is much more than do's and don'ts. Think of the slightly expanded version of the law and the prophets that he says in Matthew 22, that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So he's driving this point home again and again and again that what motivates us, what's behind our obedience, isn't simply conformity to a set of rules, but a motivation of love. And it's a love that has been given to us, a love that has been poured out upon us that is to be that motivation. And so what he's coming at at and saying here in chapter 7 and verse 12 is different in this way. Where the others have said it in the negative, Jesus now says it in the positive. What you wish others would do to you, you do that to them. You see, the minimum might be don't do to others what you don't want done to you. You don't want to be lied to, don't lie to others. You don't want to be stolen from, don't steal from others. If you don't want to be pushed around, don't push other people around. But the maximum is what Jesus says here, that whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. It is a proactive command. It is not a reactive command. The first thing we note about it is the breadth of the whatever. Whatever you wish. What is left out? Nothing. Well, maybe something. It's so obvious Jesus doesn't even mention it. What would be left out of the whatever? If this is the summation of the law and the prophets, then the exclusion that would be so obvious that Jesus wouldn't even need to mention it would be anything that's contrary to his law. So let me just mention that caveat that the whatever here must not include anything that would go against his law. But beyond that, whatever you wish, do that unto others. It's broad. 
The next part that you wish others would do to you is not do to others as they have done to you. That's our, that's our, our, our natural motivation to treat people the way they've treated us. That's what we want to do but rather it's what we would want to be done. Knox Chamblin writes, The positive formulation is closer than the negative to the heart of the love command. Love your neighbor. Do for him. The positive form embraces the negative, where adhering exclusively to the negative might justify negligence. For example, a disciple might both resolve not to harm a neighbor and at the same time refuse to help him. That's where the weakness is in the negative. The negative could just mean that we could just Go hide. Go build a compound. Uh, go, go live safely somewhere where we didn't ever have to interact with other people. But the positive tells us to be proactive, to go out, to show love to others. The final part, do also to them. It's a command to do good to others. As followers of Christ, we are to intentionally act well, to do good for the sake of others. Galatians 6.10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Psalm 34.14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. 1 Timothy 6.18, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Or Micah 6.8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so having just given the command, or or rather the resource, in a command, ask, seek, and knock, he now adds this so or therefore, depending on your translation, so whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. In other words, the motivation is love. Just as we can go to a heavenly father who is generous, generous, and we can ask and seek and knock, And because we know that he hears us and he responds and promises to care for us and has shown his love to us, therefore, so, whatever you wish that would be done to you, do also to them. Because he's made us his own, because he's adopted us as his children, so we ought to be generous to others. It is rooted in the gospel that we can know how to act in each and every situation in which we are faced The meaning of the statement, this is the law and the prophets, really just captures the meaning of the command itself, that this is the fulfillment of righteousness, that it is simply loving others. Romans 13, 8, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. And so when we think of the law and the prophets, the Old Testament, that was shorthand for the Old Testament, the unfolding of Scripture, we can include the New Testament in that, The unfolding of Scripture is simply the story of redemption. That while we were enemies, God sent his Son to die for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God, Ephesians 5.2. All of Scripture tells us of God's redemption of sinners. That's the big overarching story of the Bible. God saves sinners. And this command captures the summary of the fulfillment of that and our responsibility, the fulfillment of all righteousness, love others. Yet, the little legalist in all of us knows how to take even this, a good command, and abuse it. To do to others what we wish could be 
misconstrued into selfishness. We could use this to manipulate, couldn't we? We could use this to oblige other people too. And, and folks, we, we don't really do this. Like we don't walk up and say, hey, you know what I did for you, right? You know, you owe me. I mean, we, we, we might occasionally do something like that with someone we're close to. This battle's really fought in our hearts because what we do is we keep a record of everything we've done and then we're like, I did for them and they couldn't do for me. And it's all internal. And we have this little battle in our heads and we tear each other down. That prayer that I prayed this morning, that's what I'm getting at there. That that's our tendency, that we keep a record of wrongs for others. Don't do this. Look at the pattern that God has demonstrated in the whole of Scripture. God, God saves sinners, right? It's a, this pattern of redemption. It is doing for others. It is sacrificial in nature. It is the pattern of God's love. We see this in Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, that you by his poverty might become rich. 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Why am I reading so much scripture this morning? Is because I want you to hear this is not my opinion on one verse. All of scripture is pointing to this. All of scripture is speaking of this. It's been talking about it the whole time. The lavish love of God, which knows no end, as demonstrated in our redemption, is both the example and the motivation for how we are to love others. We are not to be stingy with our love. We are not to look for loopholes to withhold our love. We must not disparage the love of God in Christ by acting hatefully or selfishly. John, in his first epistle, gives a great summary statement of all that we've said here. In 1 John, we read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Now, let me share a practical way that we as a congregation can demonstrate this kind of love. We live in a day and age in which we are, I think, more aware than maybe past generations of the harm that can come to children. Uh, We live in a time where we are, I think, more aware of what has happened to children, where adults have taken advantage and abused them and done things to them which should not be done. It's a sad reality. And, of course, we don't ever want this to happen on our watch at our church. And so to that end, the elders have been working to craft a child protection policy that we're hoping to put in place by the first of the year. 
And in this policy, we will include guidelines that will help us ensure our children are safe and anyone else who brings their children to worship with us at Christ the King. Once finalized, the policy will ensure that, for example, more than one person is present in all activities. There won't be any one adult alone with children. Uh, Our workers, whether in nursery or Sunday school or youth events, will go through a process of training through application. We'll even do background investigations to, to ensure that those who are with our children are safe. And the motivation behind this is not simply pragmatic. It's not just that all the other churches are doing this. That's not why we're doing this. We, are, we, we certainly want to assure all parents that their children are safe. We want, as new parents come in and new people join with us, we want them to know that their children are safe. But what our motivation is behind all of this is love. It is this, what we're seeing in this text this morning, the golden rule. What we wish would be done to our children, we want to make sure is done to others' children as well. We want to do good to others in love for God and love for one another. I can tell you that I have worked and counseled with parents whose children have been taken advantage of. And I can tell you that the fallout is immeasurable, that it is lifelong, that it is life-changing. And I hope that nothing like that ever happens here. And so we are going to work to do this and do whatever we need to do to ensure that children are safe at Christ the King. So this is a proactive step. And this is an example of what our love ought to look like. That our love should be proactive in nature. You see, the world reacts. The world waits to see how you're going to treat them before they decide how they're going to treat you. I'll do to you the same that you've done to me. That's how the world responds. That's how we're tempted to respond. But the follower of Christ lives proactively. Seeking to do good for others because of the love of God that has been poured out upon us. Yet we can all confess we don't do this perfectly. More than just taking the last of the OJ or uh, being uh, harassing as we leave uh, to get to church on time. We know all the ways that we don't do this perfectly. But let me caution us from turning this into just another rule to follow. See, if we do that, we're going to fall short every time. Because this cannot be done in our own strength or in our own wisdom. It is the ultimate multi-tool, but it is a multi-tool that is rooted and must be rooted in the gospel. It must stay gospel-informed, it must stay gospel-infused, and it must stay gospel-powered. For us to do this in our own strength will end in failure. The good news of the gospel, that Jesus has saved us, that we who are sinners have been redeemed All of us who have fallen short of God's glory, who've missed the mark, who've transgressed his law, that he has made things right. Through his son's death, he has overcome what was justly ours, the wrath of God. And by accomplishing this and by making us his own and by adopting us as his children, now we are empowered by his spirit who lives within us to love as the father has loved us. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? 1 John 5. So the gospel then is the power of God unto salvation and empowers us to walk faithfully in our lives, including 
doing to others what we wish would be done to us. So don't look to your own strength or your own power, your own wisdom to do this. Don't see that as the source of loving others well. Like This is just another rule to follow. Don't compare yourselves to others to, to lower or raise the standard. It's always dangerous. Instead, look to Christ, who emptied himself, who put on flesh, who walked among us, and who laid down his life for us in love. And in that knowledge and assurance of his love, look to him for the strength to proactively show love to others. Look out for the interests of others. Consider the needs of others more important than your own. Be kind. Forgive. Lay down your own rights. Lay down your own wishes, your wants, to follow in his sacrificial example of the love that he has demonstrated for us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we do not love as we should. And we confess that we cannot love as we should. But we come today with hearts that are grateful for the love that has been poured out upon us. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We were in no way worthy. And yet you set your affections upon us and redeemed us and made us your own. And because you have poured out your love upon us, Father, would you then cause that love to flow out from us? To seek the needs of others. To consider the, 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 the vulnerability of others, the wishes of others, the wants of others, the needs of others. Lord, give us eyes to see. Give us discerning hearts to know what we can proactively get out and do to demonstrate this love that has been poured out into our hearts. May we not be selfish with it. May we not look for loopholes to withhold it. Lord, but as you have been lavish in pouring out your love on us, make us lavish in pouring out love on others. Only you can do this, Father. And we ask that you would. For your name's sake, for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.